Podcast. I'm your host, Double Up, and we're here to connect perspectives. Today, we're going to tap into a, a personal, personal issue of mine, um, and that's really the topic of amateurism and how the NCAA does not pay athletes what will worth, you know? And a lot of people have already talked about the issues of why athletes need to get paid and um, just how the system is set up. And so I, I start by, by getting into that, but the whole purpose of this podcast is to talk more about solutions because anytime I'm, I'm rapping with y'all, it's solution based. But really thinking about it, like I heard uh, a few of my friends and teammates say before that they feel like, man, this, this low key is like free labor for the schools and. When you think about it in the sense of capitalism, it it definitely is free labor. Athletes, we make we make a lot of bread for these schools. We make a lot of money. We generate a lot of interest, and that in turn is not <laughs> paid out in the way that it should be. There's no return on investment. They say you get your education, and yes, that is what you get. But is it activated in the same way? Is it promote it in the same way to the athlete as success on the field or on the court is. And we all know it's not. So when you think about exactly what is amateurism, like that's the idea of not getting paid for sport. And you're like, why would people be playing sports not to get paid? And when it was originally created, amateurism was derived back in the 19th century in Great Britain and it was made so that the working class wouldn't compete with the aristocrats, you know, the people that were wealthy. They wasn't trying to play sports with the people who were poor. And so they created this sense of classism where they said, nah, the amateurs, this is it's people who got bread, who got free time to go play sports. Y'all don't got no free time to play sports. Y'all need to be working. Y'all want some money. That's how y'all get y'all money. We, we play sports for our leisure time. You know, and so it eventually started to evolve. And uh, when you think about the ancient Greeks and uh, Olympics and they weren't our amateurs that the college athletes are today. You know what I'm saying? Like when we think about our ancient Greeks and uh, the original Olympians, that form of amateurism was was compensated. You know, they got land. And made sure that their families were taken care of. The the whole committee that that ran the Olympics they treated the athletes damn near like royalty, you know. So it was it was fair return on investment for the original amateurs. But now I spent to whole to something completely different. We look at amateurism now and it's being manipulated for the gain of major companies and for the schools you know so like olympic athletes now they can sign 
name and likeness deals. They can have brands represent them. They can do things with the image based off of their talents to make money. But that's not what happens in the NCAA. Like in sports, that's that's not what happens for the athletes in college. And originally playing sports in college, there was no governing organization. There was no there was no NCAA. Everybody was just playing ball for their schools and uh, they were just going to school, getting their education. And there was some money being generated, but not like it is now, you know. So the whole reason the NCAA was even started was because of football and how violent the game was. Excuse me. And so when football was first played, they had leather helmets. Like they literally had leather helmets. There was no face mask. There was no real protection. And anybody that was playing ball at a high level and saw the physical nature of the game, they were suffering life-threatening injuries. Like people were literally dying on the field. Like by 19, I believe it was 1919 or 1920, there were 12 deaths during the season. Like 12 people died playing football in college. So it was a tremendous problem for college sports and for the schools themselves. They like we ain't running sports here for our athletes to be dying. Like that's not what this is for. And so. They created the NCAA to govern it, and um, Teddy Roosevelt was the president at the time, so he was going to ban football from being played, but instead they created the NCAA. So I say all that to let you know the NCAA had no intentions on governing amateurism. The NCAA was put in place so that athletes wouldn't die playing sports. Bottom line, that's why I was putting in place. Of course, they created their own rules and regulations to further regulate the sport. But the number one catalyst for the NCAA is to stop athletes from dying and playing sports. And that's that's important to think about, because in the grand scheme, you would assume that the NCAA would be in the player's favor. You know, like, y'all started to protect us. But that that's not has played out. And so we look at the NCAA and it's made up of over 1,200 schools, but you got your main power five conferences. You got the Pac-12, you got the Big the Big 10, you got the SEC, you have the Big 12, and you have the ACC. And so all of these schools, they made the decision not to really prioritize the athlete anymore. Because they saw the money that was getting generated and the way they saw this benefiting the schools was through the bottom line. It wasn't going to be benefiting the athletes, all of this money. Yeah, we're going to pour it into your athletic department. Yeah, we're going to say, oh, now you get the the the, the craziest locker room. We're going to put massage chairs in all of your locker rooms. We don't need all that. But. This is how the schools saw the benefits of making this money, but it wasn't to prioritize the athlete by any means. So the schools, they used the sports to promote the schools. So think about this. You got players playing the game. Everybody at home is watching. It's building a brand for the schools. They see how great these schools are at sports. 
Like they, they called it the Flutie effect. Like back when Doug Flutie was playing football, uh, championship game at Boston College, he throws a Hail Mary. Touchdown, wins the game. The next semester, admission rates skyrocketed at Boston College University. So now everybody want to go to Boston College just because Doug Flutie threw a touchdown. Like, that's how powerful it was. And so this is creating a brand for these schools, which in turn is making sponsorships and other companies want to partner with the schools. So now we're creating TV deals. We got TV deals, promoting colleges, promoting athletes, but none of that money is going back to the players. Nah, it's just going to stay with the school. It's just going to stay with the employees and the staff. And that's where we really start to find the tension and find the division. And wait a minute, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young, I'm a young black man coming from out of my community to play ball at this establishment. And y'all say this piece of paper is supposed to change my life. I'm supposed to get this education and that's going to change my life. But all of y'all are making money off of me playing sports. So that dynamic is completely twisted, especially in the mind of a young 17, 18-year-old kid. They're not thinking about this. They're not trying to, they're not really connecting all of the dots of how their name and likeness is being taken advantage of and why this is essentially illegal. In our, in the grand scheme of capitalism, it's, it's illegal to have someone work for free. They have internships. That's the little loophole in the workforce. But you cannot have free labor in America. That's not, that's not, it's not, it's unconstitutional. And so we start to have this tremendous division between the athletes and the schools because now the NCAA has become in favor of the schools and no longer for the athlete. The average scholarship at the time, yeah, you could say it was worth forty, fifty thousand dollars at some of these private schools per year. But the average revenue of an athlete by nineteen eighty four was two hundred and ninety thousand dollars a year. So we're talking about a forty, fifty thousand dollar scholarship for somebody who's worth close to three hundred thousand dollars to the school. That's a hell of a return on interest for the school. Now, what is the player to do with that? Because 80% of athletes live below the poverty line. That's that's what they don't really talk about when they say, okay, now we're just going to make sure that um, the athletes have their room and board paid for, treat them like all of the other students. And no, all of these other students don't necessarily come from the same backgrounds of these athletes and especially these black athletes which when you look at football and basketball, the highest the highest gross in sports in college, it's nothing but young black men. So we have to be conscious of their original purpose of going to college is to change their families. And so if they're treated like anybody else that's at school, but they have twice the time commitment to their sport, they don't have the same access to the resources because they're so stressed out from the pressures of the game or just the physical nature of it. 
I'm tired. I miss a class sometimes, you know? Like, when I was in college, I I definitely remember times after games, like, man, I'm not going to class tomorrow. Ain't no way. I just, <laughs> way my shoulder feeling right now. I think I might have got a concussion last week. I'm not going to class. And it's not an uncommon story, you know? Like, I'm not trying to say, like, woe is me. I'm just saying that the reality is the pressures of being an athlete are way, way greater than the pressures of just being a student in college. So we got to look at all of the ways this is being manipulated, right? So so you have players that can't get paid, but, but who benefits from that? Well, one, you got the school, of course, because they're generating all this revenue. You got coaches. Coaches' salaries have skyrocketed. Like, now I think Nick Saban is the highest-paid coach. He's making about $9 million per year. That's good money. <laughs> that's that's real good money, $9 million per year. And they say that, and this is in his contract, they say 80% of his salary is attributed to his talent to recruit. So his talent of recruitment is 80% of his salary. So the athletes that he brings into the university is the reason they're saying he's worth about, what's that, about seven, seven million just for bringing athletes here, not even for developing, not winning no games, just for getting them here because the school knows once we get the students here, once we get the athletes on campus, the money is made. The money's made. They good. So you got the schools, you got the coaches. Of course, the whole staff is taken care of as well. But the the web, it gets a lot wider because now we have agents who manipulate the system. Because players, you can't, you can't play. Once you've been contacted by an agent, once you've had uh, representation, nah, you can't play no more, bro. You, you, you're trying to be a pro. You're talking to an agent. So that disqualifies you from being able to play in the NCAA. So what do, what do agents do? I said, I'm just going to drop a bag off with your auntie. I'm just going to leave a little money with your mom's back home. And the agent going to play like, yeah, I'm looking out for you, man. I'm trying to take care of you. I know the I know the schools is playing you. I know the system is playing you. I'm trying to take care of you. No. No, no. It's another shark in the water. See, what these agents are doing, they're getting in tight with some of the players and manipulating them with a little bag of money up front. So once the player starts to trust them, you know, they're going to side with them when they intentionally, when they eventually go pro. So now you got this agent who done dropped off maybe a little 5000 a little 10000 you know what I'm saying, and looked out for him. But you were about to go sign a multi-million dollar contract. That agent is going to get hundreds of thousands of dollars. He just doubled up. Or made 10 times his investment just because he saw the long vision of manipulating you or playing you or making you build trust in him. And I ain't going to say our agents is bad people, but 
this is just another source of not being able to take care of the athletes in college. Other sharks is in the water trying to do it for them. And they really just stuff in their pockets as well. So then on top of the agents, we got these brands. We got large companies like Nike and Adidas. They see what's going on. They're like, oh, y'all ain't paying the players? Shoot. Give them all the free shoes, the free uh, workout sweats, whatever they need. Give it to them. Yeah, where that? Where that? That's free promotion. Huh? Y'all know how much it costs to uh, get billboards up? You got to pay to get sponsorships on Facebook, not like advertising costs money. But if we can get all of these walking billboards to wear our apparel for free, oh, yeah, we're going to get big return on that. We're going to have plenty of young athletes around the country who want to buy our apparel now because the athletes are wearing them while they compete in collegiate sports. And what's the return on investment for that? These billion-dollar companies, they ain't playing no games. They ain't making no stupid investments. They know, hey, we promote this right. We're going to make plenty of revenue on the back end. They see the long-term vision of using these college athletes. It get crazy. Man. You got you to pay attention to all of the connections. Because all of these sources of income that's coming into the school, you got your TV deals, you got your your brand sponsorships, you got your admissions going up. Like, how is this money dispersed? Because, you know, colleges, they have to register as a nonprofit. Yeah, they're supposed to, <laughs> all of this money is supposed to stay in the ecosystem of the school, right? So, if all of the money is staying in the ecosystem of the school, where is it going? Most of it is going back into the athletic department. They take care of the academics. Like, don't get it twisted. The athletic departments run all of the campuses. Like, all of the money that comes from them ticket sales, it takes care of the entire universities. All from them jersey sales, it takes care of the uh law department and the business department, all that they get dispersed. Of course they had their donors as well, but the athletic money is the bulk of the school's budget. So they like, man, we got all this money. We can't pay the players. So what can we do? We can make it seem like we taking better care of them. Oh, you know what now now y'all can get free snacks. You know what? Now now we're actually um, pay for a hotel when y'all on the road. You know what? Matter of fact, we'll actually let y'all get a stipend. So we got to the point where players are getting stipends. So I never wanted to be this narrative now that, that players in big power five conferences don't have money to take care of themselves. They have money to take care of themselves. The question is, is this fair market value? And the answer is no. You still giving them pennies on the dollar. My little brother, I got a little brother that play at Texas University, another brother that's playing at Vanderbilt University. You know what I'm saying? So this Texas, biggest, probably the highest grossing college in the whole nation. And then you got Vanderbilt and the SEC. This is the biggest football conference in the nation. And so when this 
when these departments split it up, they have to make sure that it seems like it's fair. And it has to seem like the players are the ones who should be envied, you know? They have to create this divide between the public and the players. Like, why are y'all complaining? Y'all spoiled. Like, look at all the free gear y'all got. And look at the, the free meals and the 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 the, the hotels you stay in. And you, you got your college paid for. And so, yeah, now, now y'all really turning against the same people who y'all originally were advocating for. Like this is the divide they want to create through the media is that the athletes got it all now. It's all good. Stop complaining. But no, it's not complaining. It's just talking what's fair business. What's what's real equity? You know what I'm saying? And I know athletes are supposed to be there for school, right? So let's dive into the education aspect of it. So you got students who come to a campus, right? And when I went to school, like I was, I was blessed to go to the school I went to. I went to Missouri S and T. It was a mainly an engineering school. Like ninety percent of the students there are engineering majors, and so my focus was on school. Like we had a good football team, and I balled out, but nobody really cared. Like nobody was making uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars off of my name and likeness. I knew I I had to get my education and. The school allowed me to do that. You know, if I had a lab that was at the same time as film study, coach like, hey, man, you better get to class. What you here for? You need to be in class. Or if I was struggling in my engineering classes, they wouldn't say, oh, yeah, you need to go ahead and drop that. They're like, no, you need to get a tutor. You need to make sure you're getting with some, some of the alumni or the people who've taken these classes before who can walk you through what's going on. So the same effort that was put into me succeeding on the field was put into me succeeding in the classroom. And that's not what goes on at these big major power five schools, especially for kids who they designate as the ones who are going pro. Because now they're looking at them as an asset. Oh, we only going to be here for two, three years and he going pro. So we ain't even trying to maximize what he can do as a, man or as a student we're just trying to get the maximum athleticism out of him right now so we can win right now before he leaves and goes pro they've changed the dynamic from treating the student athlete like a student at all now he's purely an asset or she's purely an asset she's a product for the business model you know it's 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 kind of like we gonna hang this this uh, piece of cheese in front of the mouse while it runs this wheel, right? And the, the piece of cheese is the the degree, the education. So this is the value. But I don't know that wheel. That wheel is generating millions on the back end for them while we chasing this little piece of cheese. So how about we just we hop off the wheel for a second? We hop off the wheel, we examine the degree, we examine the education. So what education options do you have as a student athlete when you come to school? Are you open to anything that you want to be? Even if it's a tough if it's a tough degree that you may struggle in, 
that you may have to go a semester where you drop a class or you may be ineligible because you got to go part time because I, I need to get on a pace where I can actually understand my work. Then I can get back to sports. No, I ain't trying to hear that. No, no, you need to uh, be in something that's easy, something that you can pass. Let's put him in a general studies real quick. Let's put him in uh, something that he can just do to kill time while he prepares to play sports. Like it, it gets so wicked that North Carolina, one of the most prestigious universities, Michael Jordan went there. You know what I'm talking about? Carolina Blue, the Tar Heels. They, they literally created entire fake classes for the student athletes. So players will come to school and they like, what? What you want to major in? Uh, I want to major in communications. I want to major in business economics. I want to major in finance. They're like, nah, y'all should major in African American studies. And players are like, oh, all right, cool. Major in African American studies. And so, come to find out, the African American studies class was nothing but a paper class. So, you just turn in a paper two times a semester, and that's it. Pick your topics, turn in a paper, and that's all you got to do for the entire semester. And of course, the players weren't even writing their own papers. The schools had these designated tutors who really just did the papers for the players and turned them into the African-American studies department, which is just even more disrespectful. Y'all going y'all gonna to fake the African-American studies department? Like, really? That's, that's, that's the department y'all choose to make a paper class? But that's a whole nother that's a whole nother issue, man. But it's like once the schools got in the habit of really just looking at these players as assets and products, they completely like they forgot about the education. They didn't care about the education. They wasn't pouring none of those resources into the student athletes. And if they're doing it at North Carolina, imagine what goes on at some of these other schools. They probably had to tighten up once North Carolina got caught, but best believe players are still getting pushed into easier classes, things that don't match their passion, things that don't match their purpose. So now you're in college and you're just taking classes just to get by, and then you graduate, and Lord willing, you get to the league, and you play a long time, but if you don't, this education you were supposed to fall back on how valuable is it? The whole time you were in college, were you really getting the full utilization of the resources so that you can prepare yourself on how to activate the education once you got done? Nah. Nine times out of ten, nah. So we looking at it, it got to the point that if you look at the stats, 50% of basketball and football players don't even graduate from college. Like most of them probably made their attempts to go pro and whatnot, but a lot of them literally are just falling through the cracks because your eligibility doesn't mean you won't try to graduate. Just because you're eligible to play ball don't mean that you're going to graduate when your eligibility is up. A lot of guys just stay in the float so they can stay on the field, stay on the court, but they're not even on the plan to graduate.
So it's getting wicked, man. We we got to be aware of what the colleges are doing to keep that revenue flowing, but not what they're not doing to promote the passions of these young men and women. And the women, too, like a lot of things have been pushed in terms of making sure that Title IX offenses are taken care of for women. But women's sports is actually making a lot of money, too. So you got to pay attention to that bottom line. And hold, wait a minute, ladies, like, whoa, whoa, hold on. This this women basketball tournament, this this women's softball tournament, this is, this is making the school a lot of money as well. So the women got to be a, aware of what's going on on their campuses and how the revenue is being split the same way as the men. Like, everyone has to be informed and educated and understand that these scholarships, they're year to year. They're almost like a contract. So you pay to play. You pay through your hustle and through your grind and through your commitment to play for free. And then they decide to re-up and sign that contract if they like to. It was a it was a hooper named Kendrick Lawton. You can uh, look up his story. But Kendrick Lawton, he played ball, um, I believe it was at um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma University. And he was a baller, but he ended up hurting his knee in practice. And they told Kendrick, no, nah, you good, bro. Keep on playing. Keep balling. He had a little MRI with the team. They said, no, nah, it's just a little sprain. It's a little sprain. You good, Kendrick. So Kendrick keep hooping, keep balling for Oklahoma. They selling out the arena. They doing their thing. And come to find out after the season, he like, man, my knee's still killing me. So he get checked out by another doctor at home. The doctor like, bro, you got a torn ACL. He been out here running, playing on a whole torn ligament. Like, so he like, man, I got to go back to school, tell them what's going on. And since he got a second opinion back home, they declared him ineligible. They said that he had violated some NCAA rule because we know how the NCAA rock. And now Kendrick, his scholarship didn't need to be, it was no longer valid. They didn't need to make sure that they followed up on the promise of taking care of the, of the young.